Welcome to the Eureka Moment. Okay, so Eureka Moment, Aaron Powers is my guest. Um, I'm excited about this. We've been talking about forever. Getting you in one place for more than five minutes is not easy to do. Yes, sorry about that. Uh, I'm very happy to be here too. Well, um, I always like to start out with, tell us a little bit about where you're from. And you've got a unique story, but Hmm. please. Um, Sure, so uh, I'm from San Diego, born and raised. Um, uh, Come from a military family. Uh, My father was in the Navy and he was in Top Gun. So F-14 pilot, um, Miramar, you know, kind of all the the glamour days of that. Uh, He decided to go back to medical school right after I was born. Went back to medical school and went into ophthalmology. We moved back to San Diego and just spent my life down in San Diego. Very stereotypical, wonderful Southern California. Um, Mom stayed home. She was an RN, uh, but she stayed home to raise us, a family of four kids. And just, I'd say I had a very good childhood. Yeah, so... um a little bit about, because uh, you're interesting, because we talked about this before, you are the black sheep of the family. So mm. tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so uh, my father, sister, and brother are all ophthalmologists. So I work in the eye care business. I've worked in it since I graduated from college, but I am the only non-MD in the family. So a um, uh, little bit of a black sheep there. Uh, you know, it's... It's uh, interesting. So when I um, was graduating from my MBA, um, uh, I went to Dartmouth and um, I was you know, super proud. You're graduating and everything. And I asked my grandma, I'm like, Grandma, are you going to come to my graduation? And my grandma says, well, Aaron, it's not like you're getting a medical degree or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you only know, went to Dartmouth and got an MBA, but, but yet you're not a yeah, doctor. Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't know. I just kind of see that as I, I like to... Um, I like to think that I'm the smart one in the family because I can do a lot of different interesting things and, um, you know, not held down into to anything. And I've just I've had a really wonderful career thus far. So. So you went and got an MBA. What prompted you to do that? Was that always part of the plan for you? Yeah. So I'm one of those strange people. And I don't think that we've ever talked about this, who has always been extremely focused on career like. I can remember back to when I was like in kindergarten and thinking like I, I didn't necessarily think about like, oh, family, princess, all that kind of stuff. I was like, for some reason, I was like, I'm going to be very successful. Uh, and that was literally always part of the plan. I started studying for the GMAT when I was in junior in college. But then when I started looking into schools, I realized that I needed a couple of years of experience um, to get into some of the programs that I wanted to get into. So yes, that was definitely in the plan. Did you ever think about medical school? So um, I, I love answering this question um, and I feel like I'm prepared to answer it. Uh, but um, no, so um, my sister, my older sister, I'm, I'm the second of four, is just a brilliant person. And one day I'll, I'll have to introduce her to you. Um, but she is so smart. And I honestly have to say, and my, my other, my brother as well. Um, and, uh, I thought if this is how smart doctors are, I should not go to medical school (laughs) because she was brilliant. And so I, you know, I mean, it's, it's challenging growing up in a family where it's so medical. So both my grandfathers are also 
um, doctors as well. One's a dentist and the other one was a, a surgeon. And, um, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to grow up without understanding what the future looks like if you don't go into medicine or, you know, it's kind of when you're a kid, it's like, oh, I can be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a policeman. And, and you're kind of like, what do you right. do? Um, but I think, you know, uh, I, like medical school was literally never on the table for me. Okay. So yeah. it, was a, it was a fleeting thought. It just... I would moment say in, it wasn't it, even a thought. Like it was, okay. it was just, I never ever thought I would be a doctor. Yeah. So you had a plan that you're going to be successful. Did you ever define that early on or was it just, I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to figure it out? How? Because I'm always interested in what triggers a decision, big decisions. Yeah. You know, like what triggers those big decisions? Um, for you, not being a doctor was a big decision because that's what your family was in the business of doing, right? It's, that's what it's you what did. We do. Be yeah. like being a rancher and deciding, oh, I don't want to be a rancher. I want to go sell Old cars. School. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, tell me a little bit about, was there a lot of thought in it? Or I always like to say, or was it course of least resistance? It just sort of happened. No, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, so this is crazy, uh, but uh, like I've always defined success, even from a very young age, as just being able to have a positive impact on people, as altruistic and strange as that sounds. But I think about it from um, like, how can I be in a position where I can have great impact? And and that's as, that's as detailed as my thought process was at a young age, I'd say. And then, of course, that articulates into different meanings and um, and drivers as you get older. But that's kind of what I defined it as from being very young. Okay. So um, you are a very senior executive um, at a, a relatively young age. Um, Thank you. And... <laughs> It's no great surprise that you're a woman. <laughs> okay. And so talk a little bit about, um, because I've known you for a few years now, mm -hmm. and um, I've had the great pleasure of working with you in your last role at SICE. And now in your new role, we haven't started to work together yet, but soon, uh, soon, that's good to know. Uh, but talk a little bit about some of those experiences on the journey to where you're at, because it wasn't easy, right? And I think a lot of women would like to hear someone that's done it in a pretty quick clip and had to deal with the challenges of, especially, you know, a German company. It's mm -hmm. not just that it's a male dominated world in large part, yeah. but there's also a cultural dynamic. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um so, uh, is it okay if I go back a little bit further? Please, please, whatever, wherever it helps to put the story together. Um, so I was one of those very fortunate people who found an industry that I absolutely loved immediately after college. And that was, um, that was very, uh, it, that's a gift if you think about it. Cause I think that a lot of times people graduate and they're like, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, they kind of tread water in certain industries and then you have to decide, well, do I like a certain industry or do I like a function? 
And I think for me, I found an industry that I really loved. And funnily enough, that was ophthalmology, right? So even though I'm not a surgeon, I really love working in the business of eyes, right? And so uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, kind of looking back at that, you always need something that's a true north, if that makes sense, Kurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then kind of uh, uh, driving towards that. So let me see how how I can better explain this. I started working in ophthalmology when I was 21. And I also had, I would say from a very young age, um, a a couple of gifts is how I would describe it. One, working in an industry that I love, um, but two is having really wonderful bosses. And then three is having not so wonderful bosses. And that really helps, um, you know, especially from a young age, uh, define your aspirations and, and goals for what you want to do. And what you don't want to be. And what you don't want to be which is equally as important, right? And, you know, I think that my one true north, I'll say it, is the love of working in an industry that gave people quality of life. Mm. And um, so when I went back to business school, um, and I, you know, that, as I said, that was always in the plan, I actually ended up um, doing my summer internship for Genentech. Great company, like wonderful experience oncology. I worked in, you know, like probably like the, you know, the, the one area that you really want to work in because it's the primary focus of the company. And, um, I had this really weird realization that, um, what I was giving my patients was quantity of life, not necessarily quality of life. Mm. And at that moment, it crystallized that I really wanted to go back into ophthalmology and for anybody that knows Genentech, they know the, the block, blockbuster drug Lucentis. And I always joke that I would look down the hall and see the Lucentis guys like popping champagne because they worked in ophthalmology and it was like this wonderful, you know, kind of environment. And I, I needed that back in my life. And so knowing that helped understand what I didn't want to do, right? So that drove me back into ophthalmology. I joined Alcon and, um, and you know, that I joined probably during the most tumultuous time of Alcon's history, which is, you know, when the, the Novartis acquisition happened and, and, and lots of changes there. And um, uh, please interrupt me if I'm going on for no, too long. No, no, because I, I think it's the thread that gets you to, um, why and how you navigated the challenges when you got to Zeiss yeah. and you. So it, I know the story, but I think you have to get a little bit of the context. A little right, bit. right. Yeah. And the con so, so, and so the funny thing is, so I would say that before I went to business school, I, I had loved my job and I loved my industry, but I wasn't married to it. I was kind of like, I like healthcare. You know, what do I really want to do? I know I really like marketing. And the wonderful thing about business school was that it, it like, made it concrete. Like, I'm like, I love this. This is what I'm pursuing. And it, it kind of gave me a, a focus. And, and then I got to believe like doing an internship in oncology, you think, wow, oncology, that's where all the money's at. Totally. Right. Right. That yeah. did it. Was that what prompted oh it? Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh, I really need pharma experience, biotech, you know, the, the great wider Genentech. world, Genentech, you it, know, it's, yeah. it's wonderful. It's right? the Holy grail. It's the it, Holy grail. Until you 
until you find out the Holy Grail is really a wooden cup. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's kind of one of those things that like, I'm so glad that there are people who love that industry because if everybody were like me, you know, um, like, like we wouldn't necessarily have the great minds that we have working right. in that industry, right? So, um, so I joined Alcon because when you graduate with a business degree and you're like, man, I want to go back into ophthalmology. You want to join the, you know, the powerhouse and that's Alcon. And so I, um, I was super fortunate to have just like amazing, amazing people over at Alcon who, who brought me on. And I walked into that building and on the first day I was like, I'm going to be the CEO of Alcon. Like I'm in, I'm going to bleed Alcon blue until the day I die. This is it. I interviewed with Alcon. Um, I flew down from Boston and interviewed there for eight hours and flew back and decided to move to Fort Worth without ever having seen the town, like other than like a drive through the freeway. So I was, I was in, like I was married to Alcon kind of thing. Um, fast forward and, you know, um, things don't always turn out as it seems. And again, you kind of experience those, like, this is a great moment in my career. And this is what I never want to be in my career. And I left Alcon after like four years or so. And it was a very weird um, weird transition. But I think that that was when I, um, I, 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 another key learning in my life of really don't like corporate politics. I, I am not a political person. But it's hard to get away from it, the path you're choosing. It is, but I think that that's also who you surround yourself with. And, and it's, it's, I think it's, to be honest, I think it's corporate culture driven. So, I, I, I always struggle with the corporate culture concept because definitely companies have personalities. Yep. But cultures exist within the company. Yep. Right. So you can work in a part of the company that's delightful. Totally. And you agree. can go to another de- part of the company that's just a nightmare. Right. And, and I see that in great granularity. Yes. Right. I even see it within teams, within organizations, you totally know, large, you know, so that being said, so you leave Alcon. Yes. You end up at Zeiss. Yep. End okay. up at Zeiss. Um, wonderful experience. Uh, worked for, um, you know, I would say one of my mentors in life, Jim Mazo. And uh, um, he hired me in. I say, I like to think that uh, Mazo gave me my first big break. So I was interviewing for this position with Jim and Jim's known me since I was 21 because when I was with VizX, he was the CEO of AMO, AMO acquired VizX, et cetera. So Jim's seen me from like when I was, I feel like I was like a little kid, you know, kind of yeah. situation. And he talks to me and he's like, Aaron, um, you know, I'm taking over at Zeiss and I need you to start the professional education division. And I'm like, bold face, like, I can totally do it, Jim. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, absolutely. You know, every, every, every part of me is like, yes, I can do this. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, knowing that going into it, I had had extremely limited management experience, like really, you know, I mean, like I wouldn't say that I was a tenured leader at that point in time. Right. And so joined Zeiss and, um, that was an incredibly fun journey. Like I have. How many years were you at Zeiss? About five. Okay. So I worked with you probably the last two and a half. Yeah. Half of that. Yeah. Right. With so. your teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd had a little time in game. Yes. And then we met mm-hmm. through Michael. Yep. Uh, Michael Anishek. Another mentor in life. Yeah. Yes. Great guy. Yes. Just the best of the best. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And so, um, so yeah, so we met and um, Kurt, I'll never forget it. I, uh, I like 
put off doing the assessment for so long because I was so nervous about it. And I, I think that Kyla knew because I probably was like, oh, I never got the email. And she's like, bullshit. Oh, yeah, she knows. You got the email. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I think that like out of my whole team, I was the last one to actually do this, the assessment. But um, yeah, so at Zeiss, I came on board and, and Zeiss was like such a critical time in my career and my life. Um, I, I mean, we can dive into this, but I mean, I became, I would say a leader at Zeiss. That's when I took on a really, truly global role. I had two children, um, during my time there. Um, and I, I was exposed to, I'd say a different level of the organization than I had ever done in the past. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier, German organization very different than an Alcon, very different than an Abbott, you know, that I had worked with in the past. And, um, you know, pros and cons on that. It's always that way. Always that. So talk about the pros and I, you know, and I think it's going to be on that idea of culture maybe because you definitely, um, it's funny. It's like your body language changes when you talk about I, I know it's like, cause you, get less you had stiff. such a good experience. I had such a, I mean, it's like, I, I feel relaxed when I talk about it because I had such a great time. And I think that that starts from the top, right? So when I talked about corporate culture in the past, um, I think about corporate culture as um, to some extent, and this is a negative way of looking at it, but it's tolerance levels. Like what are leaders willing to tolerate in their culture? Mm. And, um, and at Zeiss, um, I reported into Mezo and that man is just, uh, he's a master of leadership, right? He knows exactly um, what motivates people and how to communicate. Like he would know when to push me and when to not, you know what I mean? And then, you know, kind of give me the attaboy kind of situation. And um, so the pros of Zeiss, to answer your question, I was given the keys to the kingdom. I literally was said like, Aaron, you need to set up this division, go do it. And like, you know, here's me who like, I don't, I mean, like you read about that kind of stuff in textbooks and business school, but then when you actually are charged to do it, it's kind of like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> are you, are you sure? Like, right. are you sure? You know, kind of thing. And so I was able to set up a team of, I would say, you know, I, I'd say that probably 50% of my team were tenured Zeiss folks. And the other 50% were new individuals um, that that we brought on. And the meshing of that was just beautiful. It was, um, you know, uh, we got to a point where um, everybody trusted everybody. Oh, and, not everybody. Oh, no. Okay. Well, there, there were there were pitfalls along the <laughs> you way. You don't remember. Yeah. I have all the data. Yeah, and I, I remember say, the like, conversations. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. there, there were some pitfalls along the way. But that's really positive, You're definitely too. a, you're, you're a glass full person. I'm a glass full person. <laughs> right. But I mean. But there's been times there's been bugs in your glass. Oh, <laughs> a fly gosh. here or there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Got to pick those out. You know what, though? I, you know, I say, I look back at that now and it's just like with everything, Kurt. And this comes with so much perspective. And, you know, I, I kind of glossed over this in the beginning of, you know, uh, come from a family of four. Um, I had a brother pass away when I was 20 years old. He was 15, um, from influenza. It was literally like an overnight situation. And the one value, and the reason why I'm correlating that now is because everything comes with perspective. And, um, I'll never forget, uh, my best friend, um, Sarah Haddow, uh, 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 she came over the day after he passed away and I had just gotten back from studying abroad. And, you know, I mean, it's like your family's reeling. You have no idea what's happening. Right. 
And she looks at me and she's like, well, Aaron, now you know the worst day of your life. And I was like, huh. Like in a very strange way for somebody who's the glass half full, it's kind of like a great thing because then you're like, well, now like it's all up from here, right? When you hit rock bottom, the only way to go is up. So I guess- Now, would you say reflecting back on that, that was- The worst day? Yeah. Oh, I I think so. Okay. I think so still, yeah. Because, you know, I, I think that in my life, like- whenever I think about like really bad days, the, the way I strangely gauge it now is like, well, can I make any positivity out of this? And at the moment in time, when, when somebody that you love has, has passed away, um, there's, there's not even a sense of humor or hope. You're, you're in this place of, um, of like, I can't make light of this. Like the reason I asked it, that question is not because I didn't know the answer Yeah. because I wanted to hear you answer. Oh, okay. Because I, I look at, you know, we've talked about, and I talk a lot about meaningful life, what yeah. matters most to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a matter of helping people hear your perspective yeah. on what's really important. And that a lot of this other stuff that we, and I think it's really important for somebody like you that's so driven by career yeah. at such a young age to be able to step back and say, that's the worst day of my life. Yeah. And there's very few things that you're going to ever encounter. That, Obviously, you know, our parents oh, will age yeah. and friends will, you know, I'm to that age now where I'm seeing friends pass. My parents yeah. are of, of, you know, their health, both of them are, have yep. health challenges and it's hard to watch because you know, inevitably what's going to happen. Yep. Right. So, um, yeah, I just think it, it's, it's nice and refreshing, not that you had to go through it, but that you realize that that was as bad yeah. as it gets. And, and um, it's like you, uh, you know, but in a really weird way, Kurt, I know this is taking a different direction. Like that brought my family so much closer together. We talked about this. So Our first time ever together. meeting, yes. we talked about this. Right. And I think that, um, you know, uh, when, when really bad life events happen like that, um, it's it, you, you either kind of move away from each other or you move towards each other. And, you know, we are very blessed that we did this. We, we came towards each other and, um, you know, I, I just, uh, like, I, I, there's just no more to say other than that. Like it's, I, I love my family. Like they're just, it's, a it's, it's a strange thing to reflect upon something so horrible as actually being a blessing. Um, not only for the closeness that it brought to my family, but also, um, in a really terrible way, um, there's other people that have that happen to them. And to be able to relate and say, I hear you, I know that you're in that dark place. Um, and, and you know, fortunately or unfortunately, sometimes you have to just look at those people and be like, nothing will help but time. But even knowing that your experience isn't unique, I think is so important to feeling some sense of normalcy. Cause at that point in time, you're just, you're just like, you know, you're reaching for, you know, there's like no, no happiness. Where, where is it? You know? So my, I guess my point is fast forwarding all the way to Zeiss. The reason why I can paint over this, you know, or look at it with rose colored glasses. It's cause I'm like, of course there was bullshit. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, right. of course there were those moments where it was like, Oh my God, what's got, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, kind of the, the panic moments of like, something's happening or, you know, we need to, we need to fix something like this, or, you know, that there's a a problem that's just kind of like eating at you that you need to take care of. But at the end of the day, it was a great experience. 
It was wonderful. So what prompted you to leave? No, wait, before we go there, talk about the progression in role and responsibility. Because oh, you had yeah. a, you had a moment where there was that you were questioning what to do. And and I think you were questioning whether you were, you know, you were being told one thing, but you felt something different and you were having a hard time reconciling that. So yeah, this is this was a weird situation. Um uh, you know, um during my time at Zeiss, I received a promotion and it didn't necessarily come with everything that I thought it was going to come with. And I, I'll speak in generalities and try to be a little bit more specific and, and not, um, you, I, again, my time at Zeiss was wonderful, but, you know, um, The, it, it was it was a rocky road for me. So I got a promotion and it did not come with any sort of um let's say the monetary level. the monetary recognition that comes with said promotion. Yes. Is that fair? That's fair. You see that I'm dancing. Right I know, now. I know, but I'm I can dancing. say it and Yes. And you know, okay, so so let's just call it out. I felt like I was not compensated to the level of what I um, what I was doing, right? Like in the right. sense of, I think that my compensation package was wonderful, but usually when you have a promotion, there comes with a compensation increase, okay. right? And so I think this is important because because one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on mm -hmm. is that I think many women struggle with this this crossroads. Yeah. Right. And is it, do you feel it was an age thing, a women, a cultural uh, or all of the above? I mean, and you don't have to be right, but no, it would be interesting yeah. to see what you were thinking. You know, I think it was all of the above and none of the above at the same time. Interesting. And um, I say all of the above because, you know, absolutely. And, and by the way, when I started at Zeiss, and this is one of the reasons why I loved, um, you know, the opportunity that Jim gave me, um, I was this like, punk kid, blonde American female coming in to a 175 year old German company and saying like, Hey guys, this is what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everybody like, I knew that they were making jokes about me. Like who the hell is this woman? And I'm like, that's okay. Because I know who I am and I'm going to live up to it. So, um, I guess, uh, you know, I say all of the above and none of the above, because sometimes with those things, the, um, like it's, it's hard to really say like, that's the intention, but like, I, I'm also not one who's ever going to be like, oh, I'm a female, but you didn't give me what I want. You know what I mean? So I, I guess that I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt that I do think that some of those forces were at play. Um, but I can't tell you exactly what it was, but I can tell you that it was a very, very challenging and frustrating situation. I mean, you talked to me, I was, I, I don't get heated super often. And I think that you talked to me when I was very heated. Well, and I was just as agitated because I was incensed that yeah. that was an issue. But oh, I, yeah. I realize it is. I mean, in large part, it's why Eureka Connect exists is for the whole idea of helping women. It really was, help. that was the goal in 2009. Yeah. Is to empower women to understand objectively that they're not only equal to men, but in many ways, from a behavioral perspective, they're better than men. I mean, you know, but I think that the best thing that you've taught me thus far, Kurt, 
and that's such a dramatic thing to say because there's so many great things you've taught me, um, is just the need for balance in a team, right? Because again, I say, if everybody was just like me, um, you know, oh my God, finance would be a mess, right? Like manufacturing, oh, we have a great time. There'd be, there'd be lots of champagne. It'd be a party, party, party. But, but it would, it would, it would be, a, it would be a mess. But, you know, I don't know, um, the, the, the balance of that. And I think that, you know, when I reflect back on, um, Zeiss a little bit more, maybe that's another thing that we had that was so great was some of that balance, right? Like maybe not necessarily the most perfectly balanced team and that doesn't exist, but, um, but we had a really good thing going for us. So talk a little bit about your mental state, because you ended up getting the compensation that you were looking for. Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. You got it. Yeah. You, you, okay. I, I got some of it. <laughs> um, but talk about mentally how you prepared yourself for that, what you ended up saying to yourself, and then what you did. Because I think a lot of women want to hear, like, okay, what did she do? Oh, um, yeah. No, I can definitely dive into that. So um, the most important uh, thing in my life um, for moments like these and just like in general is, is mentors, right? Like you need to have people who like the only skin in the game for them is looking after you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, that's really important because when you work, you know, in a small industry, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to come by. Right. Like, you know, so you have to really seek out, uh, mentors that you can call literally on a moment's notice and be like, Hey man, like what, what do I do? You're one of those people for me. Right. And Thank you. you know, but I, I can't call other people in ophthalmology and be like, Hey, this is what's happening here. You know, can you help me? It's like, Whoa, that's kind of like salacious and scandalous. And you probably don't <laughs> want to do that. Right. So, um, so that, that was, so, um, the first thing that I did, um, honestly, and my husband will probably say it is just ruminate and bitch like, and, and that's a terrible feeling when you love your, your, your career so much and you're frustrated, like nothing else in your life works. Like that's how it is for me. It's like, if things aren't good at my job, things aren't good at home. And you can kind of say the opposite, but usually I can like kind of piecemeal things if things aren't good at home. You know what I mean? My job is still okay. But like, like, so, so it really, um, it unfortunately probably affected my marriage, right? It affected me as a person and, and that was hard. Um, so what did I do? Uh, I you have children too. Have children. So now you yes. have two children. Yes. Okay. And yes. you've got an intense I job. Children? I think I was pregnant with my second at the time, or maybe I had two children. I forget. Yeah, I had I, two children very close together. So I, I was, remember <laughs> that's, uh, I don't, but <laughs> <laughs> that's um, why women have more than one, yes, right? Yes. They can't remember, but never more than two, at least if you're me. So I'm like, no more, no, <laughs> no more, more babies. Um, so what did I do? So I got really pissed off and I just thought about it for a while. And, um, you know, honestly, for me, exercise is like a really important aspect and a, a, almost like a subconscious, um, kind of way to think about things. And, um, so did that, I forget like, you know, like a couple days or a week or whatever. And then frankly, I just started making calls and it was like, you know, 911 calls like, Hey, Kurt, I need your help. This is, Mm -hmm. and this is what I'm thinking. And, you know, that's really good to have those people in your life because sometimes they need to just tell you like, Hey, you're asking for too much, Aaron, you know, like, like that's, I, I doubt that that's the case for the majority of people, but like, I know that I can be a tough cookie. Um, if you talk to my husband, he'll probably agree with you. And so, um, made those calls. And then I basically, uh, wrote down my notes 
and, and then went and had a conversation, right? Like, I mean, I think that you just, um, you have to hit another, another mentor in life for me. And I haven't talked to her in a while is a woman named Julie Hill. And, um, she's just this incredible, um, incredible, successful, wonderful woman. And, um, she, she gave me the term where it's like, you have to hit righteous indignation in order to make action happen. And I think that for a lot of women, what I've seen is, is that they'll ruminate, right? But then it's like the bark doesn't match the inside, right? Like the, or I should say the bite doesn't match the bark. Like yep. you need to take what's inside of you and be able to articulate it in a manner that is non-emotional and um, eloquent enough to be, to, to, to demonstrate your feelings. And that is getting to a point of righteous indignation where you're like, I'm not going to sugarcoat this because at the end of the day, Kurt, I'm not worried about your feelings. I'm worried about the fact that this is an unjust situation. And I need to tell you and articulate the situation from my side. That's, I, I think it's, I think what's important too is we talked a lot about how the process of what you did, right? So you prepared yourself and you're talking about this preparation. Yeah. Aligning what you're going to do now with what you feel and what you think and what you believe and what you know. Mm -hmm. But then there's the action, right? And I think it's really important because you had to like get on a plane and go meet with somebody. It wasn't like you could just pick up a phone. Oh, yeah. You could have. I could have. I mean, my advice was you like, and, and I don't know that you didn't see yeah. it the same way I did, but I, I said, you got to go in person, right? Yep. You can't do these kinds of things yeah. over a phone. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that because I think, I know my own daughter this week is having yep. a little thing at work and it's just a little thing. It's, you yeah. know, she's a junior scientist at a biotech company, but a little, s- something came up and she said, well, I'll send an email. And I'm like, nah, yeah. you work in the same building. Yeah. Make it walk into their office. Well, and it's funny that you say that, Kurt, that it's a little thing because I think that little things for your daughter are so critical in terms of how it, it's it's like running a marathon. Your daughter is running her first 5K this week, but you have to learn how to run 5Ks before you can run a marathon. So handling those situations right now, even though they're seen as small, are so important to build your confidence and competence on how you're going to handle those situations when there's more skin in the game, you know, uh, chips on the table, however you want to say it. Okay. We're as a sidebar, I'm going to have you yeah. talk to her about this because oh, happy to, yeah, I, I'm really proud of her because it's not, it's something that involves her team, but not her. Yeah. Like she was pulled out as the person. Well, it's not you. Mm-hmm. Right. But she feels I'm the team. I'm yeah. part of the team. I have responsibility to my team members. Yeah. And, and I like the fact that she's, she did the 911 call. Dad, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. You know, what are you thinking? Like, and, and she talked to mom and she's like, you know, her 911 list is smaller than yours at this point, but. Yeah. Um, it will grow. It, right. And I, I like you to be on that list because yeah. you've had those crossroads. And I like what you said. It's, it's, you can't deal with the big stuff if you could never deal with the little stuff. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, it's the confidence and competence and. Look, I think that at the end of the day, most people have the competence. It's really about the confidence to do it. But, you know, it's that competence. I don't know. Like, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm walking a little bit backwards because there's right there's right ways to approach 
um, you know, kind of a, a like a, a strange situation and then there's wrong ways. And I, I think I've seen it both ways and I've probably done it both ways too, but, um, you know, practice, practice on little, little projects to get to the big ones. Well, the way I like to frame it is it's one thing to be right. You have to be relevant. Yes. And as you become more senior in organizations, I think being relevant becomes more important than being right. Yes. Because you have an entire organization under you that gets paid to be right. Mm-hmm. And now you have to be relevant. Not that you shouldn't be right. I'm not saying that. No, but it's context, right? Right. And I always look at, you know, my, my CEO now, um, Shervin, is just a, a brilliant mind. And, uh, you know, he'll say some things sometimes and I'm like, damn it, that's why you're the CEO. You know what I mean? Right. Because he's pulling from those relevant experiences and contexts, um, you know, that have other information that, you know, I am not privy to for whatever reason, right? So, yes, agreed. So, um, you know, senior executive at BVI, mm-hmm. right? So you've left Zeiss now and you've got- Oh, can I finish? But I, I, wanna, I wanna talk more about like, like, come to the table ladies and, and yes, do that. Yeah. Please, yeah. Real, please. real fast. Um, I don't think that I finished up my point. Look, I didn't get everything right. Like I, I was rejected and like, that's totally fine because I look at it now and like, look, it's the saying, like when God closes a door, he opens a window. Like, I, like, I know that that's really cheesy, but it's so true. And you have to hit a level of righteous indignation where you're willing to stand up for yourself, number one. But then number two, if you don't get what you want, no problem. Just start being opportunistic and, and exploring. And I don't know, I, I never think that rejection is a bad thing to some extent. And I feel like I feel like not um, getting everything that I, I wanted from that organization, um, good, bad, or ugly, really, uh, helps prompt, it helped, helped prompt me to start thinking like, okay, well, what does my life look like beyond this? Right? Like if, if this is, if I feel like I'm hitting a ceiling, um, you know, how do I, how do I start exploring things? So I guess my point on all this is, you know, I mean, you always hear like, oh, you got to ask and everything like that. And it's like, fucking have to ask, but like, it's okay. If you hear no, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's going to say no. Well, it's, I, I always, I tell my kids, sometimes you'll do everything right and still lose. Yes. Right? Yes. And you have to be ready for that because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, Aaron's led a pretty charmed life. I've had a pretty good life. I think so too. Yes. Right. You just, you're in rare air at your age and the role you're in. And just, if anybody can't figure it out by just looking at the smile on your face, you're loving it. Right? (laughs) It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Right? But there were the, the, the things that you had to navigate. You had to pick yourself up and of you had to course. make decisions to do. Get outside your comfort zone yes. is I guess the best way to say it. Get outside your comfort zone. But, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's also just uh, if, you, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? Like, and, and my dad always said it's, um, you know, 10% what you got and 90% what you do with it. Right. So, I mean, like as cliche as those things are, like it's, that's a really relevant, um, concept when you start looking at this. And I, I, I don't know. I think that, um, honestly, I think that for, for people who are, um, you know, it, it, it totally depends on your position in your career. Right. So for me, I look at Zeiss and I look back at it with such fondness because 
I was able to grow and do things that I love to do, but it also took care of me as a person because I was able to have two children. I was able to move, you know, Mezo gave me that kind of freedom to do these types of things. Um, but companies serve times and places in your life, right? And so when it, it just like with any relationship, when you need to break up, you know, Hey guys, it's me, not you. I'm going to move on. You right. know what I mean? So I think that recognizing that is okay, but don't be complacent about it. I think that sometimes people get really complacent and just kind of think like, oh, well, this is the way that it has to be. And I never really think that. I always think like, well, like why? You know what I, like, like if I ever think, oh, well, this is the way that it has to be. Like, honestly, what that tells me is that I need to go find a new job. Great. So you're a BVI now. Yes, I'm a BVI now. Okay. So just give us a little bit better understanding of what that role is because it's a big deal. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about that role, but I'll also tell you, um, how I, how I came to get that role if I can. Yes. Cause I think that, um, this is, this is the thing, like my new favorite word, um, and Kyla, uh, on your team will love this is hustle. You gotta love the hustle, right? Um, uh, from Robin Arzan on Peloton, because I hustled to get the BVI gig. Like, and I, I, I networked my butt off and it was in the middle of COVID and I was just like frustrated. I really wanted to do other things. I, I love my team at Zeiss and I was still doing great things, but um, I, I don't ever want to plateau. I like my learning curves to be very steep. And I feel like it was getting a little bit more uh, flat and level for my comfort. So that was really the impetus. The, the only reason I left Zeiss is because I literally was like, I'm bored. I need to do more with my life. I, I need to be really challenged. Yeah, because you love Zeiss. I, I love Zeiss. It was great. You know, great, great team. Great, um, great company. But like, it's time to, time to, uh, time to, time to be challenged again. So, um, so I hustled my butt off and, um, uh, I'll, you know, I can t- tell the story, but like, I pretty much harassed Shervin. Um, and Andy Dawson, who's the head of HR for like six months, I think. I'm not even kidding. Like, like hello, harassing. hello, Sherman and Andy. I'm just checking in and, and saying hello again so that you do not forget about me. And it was, it was, a, it was a harassment. So anyway, um, uh, so I landed the gig. It was totally awesome. So I run uh, marketing and um, product strategy. And so that's uh, kind of what exactly what it sounds like. So it's upstream and downstream marketing. So making sure that we've got our eye on the future, um, I just phenomenal team, um, you know, the, the group of brains there. Um, and then also downstream, making sure, you know, uh, that we're being relevant to our current customer base um, and that we're in front of them, listening to them, marketing, uh, supporting our sales teams, great people. And then um, also have uh, marketing communications, trade shows and um, uh, training. So making sure that our sales teams are all trained uh, and, and able to speak to our technologies, which are very vast. Talk about, talk about the looking at the future piece, because Mm. I'm really intrigued about how leaders of organizations are thinking about the future and that it's not just marketing because you have to understand product landscape, Mm -hmm. customer journey, reimbursement, uh, reimbursement, everything going on with that. Right. So talk a little bit about how your role factors into those elements of the business. Oh gosh. Um, so I might answer this in a couple ways and tell me if I'm not getting to what you're, what you're asking. So, um, you know, I, I look at the horizon of ophthalmology and, um, you know, there's so many market dynamics happening right now. 
increase in number of people turning 65, increase of cataract prevalence, myopia, you know, epidemic pretty much like in in Asia, Um, uh, you know, but also extremely exciting technologies, Um, lots of innovation coming out, Um, but also consolidation, Uh, consolidation on the corporate side of industry. So companies buying up smaller companies, Mm. um, but also on the practice side, Um, you know, kind of uh, hospital systems, um, private equity coming in, all of that. Uh, reimbursement is changing, right? With the increase in patients, that doesn't mean that the governments around the world can just continue to pay at their certain you know, rates. So we're seeing this like weird paradigm of more patients, reduced reimbursement. And that's like a huge red flag to me, Kurt, because um, this is, I actually wrote my, my thesis about this to, to get into business school. We want our surgeons and our our medical professionals to be extremely well compensated. You want the smartest guy in the room or the smartest girl in the room to be your doctor. We want those brilliant Mm -hmm. minds on that, right? What do smart people do? They go to where they're gonna make a good living and have a good quality of life. If we continue to reduce reimbursement and, and take money out of that sector, we're gonna see a shift. And that's a bad shift for society. We're seeing it. We're seeing it, right? Like, right. but that's bad for society, right? Like in the long term, we're, you know, medical schools are still really hard to get into. We're still getting great minds, but I'm talking about like 30 years, 50 years down the road. You don't want it to be like, oh, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't make that much money as a doctor. So who wants to go into that profession? You know, right. kind of when thing. I can go work on wall street or do something. Exactly. Right? Smart people can do a lot of smart things. people can do a lot of things, but we want to make that an attractive profession. So, so my point is, is that all of these different things are happening. We need to make sure that we protect the integrity of the medical profession. And by that, I mean, making sure that we provide, uh, you know, good reimbursement to, to surgeons. And, and I can talk more about like, you know, patient elective type of surgeries that, uh, you know, technologies that we're providing on that front. Um, but we also need to make sure that we continue to advance the standard of care, right? Like this can't, like there's weird balancing acts is what I'm trying to say. So I always want the standard of care to be excellent. We can't just put a pin in it and say, okay, well, that's going to be the standard of care and we're not going to innovate there. We're only going to innovate on uh, the elective surgery side of things because that's where the revenue source is, right? right? So So my point is, is that when I look at upstream and I look at the horizon of ophthalmology and of healthcare, it's just being able to be comfortable with the fact that there's a lot of moving variables and you just need to um, be able to synthesize that data, you know, triangulate it for lack of a better term and start thinking, okay, not only how can I help ensure my company's future, how can I help the profession and help patients? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about it's all about the customer, right? And so how do we help surgeons well, and how do we help patients and how do we how do we exist? You have multiple customers. We have multiple customers. Right? You have third-party payers. Yep. You have the institutions. You have the clinician. Absolutely. Right? You have the patient. But we have the nurse, the OR staff, the different techs. I mean, it's like- And their motivations know, are all different. Motivations. Their drivers, their incentives, they're all different. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, there's, there's common truths that bring us all together, which, you know, and, and call me glass half full, but we're all in ophthalmology because we love the quality of life that it brings to our patients. Right. And that to me is such a fundamental 
foundation that, um, you know, that I, you know, I, I just think that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to be working in a space where people pretty much align for that vision. No pun, no intended. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's jump back into a little on um, what it's like to be a mother, a wife, and an executive, mm. because that's a lot to juggle. And it always hasn't been smooth. Oh, gosh, no. Um, and first of all, I, I will never accept the term executive just because I feel like I'm still like, a, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't see, I, I still see myself in like sitting in my yoga pants in front of the computer screen. I, you know, I, I think of executives as the women who wear high heels, even at their homes. And I'm like over here in my like tennis shoes and yeah, stuff but, like that. But you know what? I think the reality of it is, is you've always seen yourself as that person. What did you say when you first day at Alcon? Mm. I'm going to be CEO. Yeah. You see yourself that way. You just define it differently than, That's probably than historically we've viewed it. Yeah. Right. You know, um, you look at it and say, um, I can set the tone for a different type of executive. Yes. Right. Well said. Yes. yes. So talk a little bit about that. That, so, that, that, that I asked you before we started yeah. taping, what would you want to have known 10 years ago that you now, as, as, as a woman that was pursuing a career and career, 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 and you get married and then you at some point decide you're going to have children and then it's not, so it's, it's a wheel falls off here or there, right? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Or several, uh, got to rebuild the engine. Um, so, um, 10 years ago, I had just graduated from Tuck 10, 11 years ago. Um, and, uh, I had decided that I was going to be completely career focused and never get married. And that, that was it that like, Oh, I'm, I'm done with dating. I, dated a lot in my life. And I was like, you know what? It's just like, it's great, but I don't need it. And then, you and Steph have to meet because yeah. Steph said that too. She said, you know, yeah. she goes, I don't need, I don't need men. She in my said life. that she goes, we were having dinner and she said, who would have thought 30 years later, I'm still eating dinner with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad person to be eating dinner with. I think that Stefan and I can, Steph and I can agree on that. Um, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, that's a, I mean, I just, it it was as simple as that. I was like, you know, I think I'm, I'm just going to be totally career focused. Um, and so what I would tell myself is something that when I was very young, when I was probably like 22, I had, uh, somebody in my, my past company look at me, um, straight in my face and say, you can never have it all, Aaron. You can't, you can't have a career and a family and as a woman, you can't have it all. And it was very strange and almost like a spiteful, kind of thing. And, you know, it's like me 22. I'm like, Oh, like, you know, like bright eyed, bushy tail, whatever. And at that moment, like, um, I was kind of like, watch me. Right. Right. And, uh, but then at 28, I was like, I just am done. You know, I had just moved to Texas. Like it just, it was like, I, 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 I didn't want to do it. So, um, what I would tell myself from 10 years ago is, um, uh, number one, never say never. Um, I would have never thought that I would have joined Zeiss in a clinical capacity. Right. Um, and, uh, I would have never thought that I would be married with two children. I would have never thought that I could, um, you know, I would say have a pretty great career, um, without having to be in an office every day. Right. Like that's, that's unique. 
And, and that's been really cool. Um, and so the never say never, I think that that's very cliche. Uh, but you know, at the same time, it's hard. Like, don't sugarcoat it, ladies. Like anybody that's going to get up there and say like, oh, you can definitely have it all. Dude, it sucks. Like, I am sorry. Like having babies, like some women are so good at that. And I am not good at having babies. (laughs) I, I, I was in Paris at 32 weeks pregnant during a taxi strike, like wearing four inch heels And it was like 98 degrees outside. And I just remember being like, what am I doing with my life right now? You know what I mean? Like walking miles and just being like, oh my God. And you know, I don't know. I think that like for every crappy day, there's 10 great ones. And so you just kind of have to keep that perspective. But like, dude, it is, it is, it is not easy. Um, Anybody who's going to look at you and be like, oh, you know, like it's, it's not that bad. I'd be like, and you are far better than I. Well, Lori Geary, I don't know if you ever listened to the conversation I had with her. She's a VP at Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And her children are a little older than yours. Um, but she said, you know, some days I was a really good employee and not so good mother. And some days I was a really good mother and not such a good employee. And I she said, I find it that she goes, and I, where there's a time where I thought that I had to be both. And I realized you can't always be. No. And I think that accepting that is like the best thing ever. And it's funny. I would love to talk to her because you can give other people so much more grace than you give yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the big things that I really tried to change at Zeiss was to get them to adopt a maternity policy. And when I was there and it may have changed as of now, they only had short-term disability. And I, you know, um, that's a really hard message to send to a young mother, right? Like short-term disability, right? And, um, but it's funny because when I went through it, it's just like, you just accept it. And you're like, well, I'm not gonna ask for help. Like I can do this. But then all of a sudden women on my team started having kids. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Turn the table over. Like we can't do this. And so, you know, The thing that I always try to tell myself, which I think that I've done a better job at now, is just give yourself a little bit of grace, right? Like, look, you're not, and I think what Lori said is so perfect. Like, like- You'll love her. She's, uh, you too, you'll you'll get along great. I would would love, love to meet her because some days you aren't, like next week, I'm gone for six days. That's definitely not being the best mother. But you know what? It's okay, like- I don't think my kids are going to forget well, me. Well, so Ryan, your husband, you know, yes. he's home. He's and He's home. the rock, right? He's he's the he's the steady Eddie, right? Yeah. So, um, and gosh, it has not been without, you know, I mean, like, you know, marriage is not like easy all the time either. I think he will definitely uh, agree with me on that. But um, yeah, so he is a consultant, um, but he has made the amazing decision to um, prioritize my career. And, and the way that I describe it is, and, and, you know, really, I think that having this insight um, in any relationship is so important is he likes his job. I love my career. And that's different. Yeah. Right. um, Well, I I had the great pleasure to meet him not so long ago. Yeah. And you, 
it's, you know, marriage is a partnership, right? I, I mean, I found the perfect partner for me. Yeah. I couldn't ask for somebody that was just there at every turn and every little thing that I threw at her and she just took it and dealt with it and was always supportive and probably wasn't always in love with those decisions that I made, but she never wavered yeah. from being there. And, you know, you always, as a partnership, you have to figure out just who's going to play what position. Yep. Right. And, and in this day and age, I think it's really good to, to find people that are figuring out how to do it differently than the convention would dictate. Yes. And that's hard, right? I mean, um, we live in Texas, right? Like that's, that's not, I would say the most progressive environment in the world. And the fact that Ryan is, is so supportive of me is, um, you know, uh, just amazing. Um, but I mean, Kurt, like any, again, I, I say like anybody who's gonna, except for you, you did tell me that like you, your marriage has been a breeze, in which case I say, I need to talk to Steph. Yeah, because I, I, I honestly, I guess it's because who she is yeah. that I would say that. I don't know if she would say the same. Yeah. I don't know if she looks at it the way I did or do. Um, but I, I have never found it hard. Not yeah. to say we haven't had our challenges. I wouldn't say challenges. We've had to navigate things, but we were always lockstep in how to do it. Yeah. And she had it tough growing up because her dad died when she was four and then she had a stepfather and there we could get into that. That's a yeah. whole, that's a, another that's podcast. A, I'll interview you more than a podcast. That would be multiple. It'd be part one, two and three, but, <laughs> but she has been resilient in what yeah. she dealt with as a young child and how she navigated that. And so, um, the thing is we've always been there for each other. And I think that may, I would have to say she's there more for me than I was for her at times. You know, I left her yeah. many times with three kids and I'd be gone for weeks Dear God, right? and she'd have three kids. In diapers. An angel. She is, she oh. is an angel. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that's not easy. Yeah. You know how hard that is. So, um, you know, you're sort of on the other end of that. So we're, yeah, we're on the other end of that. Uh, you know, my kids are almost three and almost two. They're 14 months apart. Um, we had a, a, a miscarriage at 12 weeks the first time we tried to have kids, which, you know, people are like, why the hell are they so close together? And it's because we thought, oh my God, did we wait too long? I had my first kid at 35. Mm. And, um, you know, it's funny because as a woman, you think to yourself like, oh, I'm not having kids, I'm not having kids. And then all of a sudden when you decide to have kids, you expect your body just to participate. Like, oh, okay, like I am ready now. <laughs> Let's do this, you know what right. I mean? And it's like, oh, it doesn't always work like that, right? So, um, so yeah, so, uh, so we had them back to back because we were kind of, we knew that we wanted at least two and so we were like, hey, let's just kind of like, for lack of a better term, get this done, you know? And um, uh, ladies, I, I don't recommend that. Uh, it's not, <laughs> not the easiest, but yeah, no, I mean, um, look, it's it's been hard. Um, you know, uh, Skylar is my eldest and for her first year, I was gone probably 75% of the time, right? So at three months I started traveling again and uh, stopped traveling, you know, at 32 weeks or 36 weeks, I forget when. And then with summer, the change was, is that she's kind of a COVID baby. She was born in December of 2019. And so I stopped traveling as much. And, um, but what Lori said is just, I, I just couldn't put it any better. It's like, um, my, my daily life is kind of a little bit of a shit show. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a beautiful way though. Right. And as everybody says, like, you're going to look back on this with fondness and, um, 
yeah, I, I hope that that's true. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of it, but look, I mean, and with Ryan, like, I don't know, Kurt, like it just, the reflection upon 10 years, I just, I don't, I don't think that I'm in any position to ever give people advice because I haven't figured it out myself. And the one thing I'll say about marriage is um, uh, my grandmother uh, uh, and my grandfather were married for like 70 years. I mean, just like she passed away a couple years ago and it's just like, like the definition of like romance, like just wonderful. They got married when she was 19 and they had six kids and it's just like this wonderful, beautiful life together. And I asked her one time, um, what was the key to a successful marriage? And she looked at me and, you know, I, I thought she was gonna be like, oh, love and understanding and like all these warm, touchy, feely things. She's like commitment. That's it. That's the key to successful marriage. And I think that, um, you know, the, the thing that I'm experiencing now is, uh, I love my husband so much. Uh, sometimes we don't like each other, but we still love each other and we're committed. And that, that to me has kind of helped because it's like, you know, I mean, like, some people are like Kurt and have Hollywood romance and like my grandparents for the rest of their lives. But for us, I think that, um, you know, trying to balance two careers, two young kids, travel schedules, all that kind of stuff. Um, at the end of the day, sometimes the logical side of my brain is just like, all right, we just got to get through it. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's romance 24 seven. Anybody that's been together for 30 years would say he's lying. We've only been there seven years and it's like, oh, you know, it's romance sometimes. But I will tell you this. I, my mom gave me some good advice, which was, she said, when you get married, you have a beautiful open field. Yeah. And she said, the first time you have a fight, if you decide to put a rock in that field and every time you have a fight, you put another rock. She goes, you get to a certain point in your marriage where there's a wall and you can't see each other. Yep. She said, don't put rocks in the field. And I think that's what the two of us have done really well. Yeah. Which is, it's not always a romance and it's not always, you know, love and bloom, but it, we respect each other enough that I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any rocks in my field. So I think one thing that, you know, um, and I think that this needs to be talked about more is just how great counseling can be when you're, you're coming up against some of those rocks. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember talking, you know, there's, there's lots of taboos for women to talk about in, in business. And, um, you know, like, oh, you know, like I have a great life, like look at my Instagram or something like, oh my God, no, that's <laughs> not me. But like, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my pictures would not, not be that perfect, but, you know, um, trying to be really open and transparent about the, the peaks and the valleys and the valleys, you know, one being like our miscarriage, right? Like that was a horrible situation. Um, Ryan and I have had some significant valleys, as you know, mm -hmm. and, and so we see counseling and you know what? I love it. And it's, it's funny to me that, um, and funny is not the right word. It's sad to me that that's still a taboo subject for a lot of people. When I look at it and I say, you know, in, in, in today's world, you bring, we, we read all about like bringing your true self to work and transparency. And to me, showing some of that that side of myself is really important so that people understand, I guess, my lack of perfection and maybe give me a little bit of grace, but also, um, you know, hopefully they'll open up to me and, and we can develop better trust kind of together. I, I think the vulnerability as a leader is one of those just great attributes that separate the ones that are always good 
for the ones that can be truly great and yeah. inspirational. Um, so I know they're telling me we need to wrap oh. it up, but I've got, I've got one more question for you. Please. Okay. You've used the word grace a couple of times. Oh. And I'm mm-hmm. really big on mm-hmm. balance in life. Mm-hmm. Talk for a couple of minutes about the idea of spirituality and how that plays into balance with you. Because oh, we've talked about this. Yeah. And um, I just want I just want to bring it up and we're we're gonna have to do this again because I could yeah. ask you a th- I have a hundred oh. questions I want to ask you that I haven't gotten uh, to. Only if I can do it for you one time. I wanna I wanna sit down and interview Kurt. Oh, we're gonna geez. have Kurt's Eureka moment. It's not supposed to be Yes, that way. absolutely. Um so so I love, I love the word grace, right? Because uh, even the way that you say it, um, it, uh, I don't know, when I say grace, I, I physically get a little bit more relaxed. And, um, and to me, uh, I'm, um, this is, this is a side of myself. I don't share with a lot of people. Uh, I, I am a very spiritual, faithful person. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, uh, my mother's so my grandpa, grandparents on my mother's side had 11 children. Um, so you can, you can say we were a little bit Catholic, Kurt, <laughs> on that side. But, you know, uh, my father's side of the family, uh, Lutheran, um, and uh, just very, very religious uh, in, in a, I would say, a wonderfully, uh, wonderfully inclusive way. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that having a, a foundation in, in God, to put it very directly, uh, that's, you know, I, I talked a little bit before about having a true North, um, and my true North maybe in my career is, you know, Hey, I want to, I want to do right by people. And that's a really broad category. Right. Um, and I, I, I love ophthalmology, but you know, if I look at the, the, the larger context of my life, like it's, it's centered on God, we, you know, like to me, it, it has to be. And I can look back at portions of my life when I was disengaged and, um, uh, you know, from a spiritual side and, and those are challenges. Those are struggles for me and I'm not perfect, you know, but I did have one really interesting revelation one time. And it was when I was practicing yoga and, um, I used to do these like awesome 90 minute, uh, heated yoga sessions. And it was just like, the best thing ever. This is pre-kids when I could wake up on a Sunday morning and just like, you know, go and have these like wonderful epiphany moments and all that kind of stuff. But my epiphany when I was in, uh, you know, kind of the the end stage of yoga was, um, you know, anytime you feel disconnected with God, right? And I think that everybody kind of feels that sometimes, whether you're spiritual or not. When I say, you know, like you feel disconnected with life, with like, what am I doing here? Like, what is this? Those are man-made in, in the sense that God's not disconnected from you. You're disconnected from God. You stopped listening. I stopped listening. And knowing that that in a strange way, Kurt, that that's kind of in my control. Mm. Like, that's not God. That's me not listening. And so... That to me has really helped um, just center me, I guess. It, it makes me sound like I'm like kind of like this philosopher, which I consider myself like the opposite of a philosopher. I consider myself like extremely pragmatic and practical. But I guess that having a relationship with God is the only thing that I know I can count on uh, to always point me in a true north direction. So it might be... You might have a shitty day at work. You might have a shitty day at home, but like 
I guess that it's kind of having that perspective again, right? I, I always, you know, I'm Catholic. You and I yep. share very similar beliefs around religion and God and the importance of God in our lives. Um, but I believe my wife is not Catholic. Mm. You know, our children were raised Catholic, but my wife is not Catholic. And I think our children have different views on religion in their life. Mm-hmm. Some much stronger than others, right? Yep. But um, I believe that anybody that believes in something bigger than themselves, yeah. First of all, that's yes. the starting point for me. Is just to believe and understand that there is something quite much bigger than ourselves. I think the other thing I've been reflecting on over the last few weeks, um, somebody that I've been working with is pretty, you know, low stability, low expertise, which is high stress, inverse mm-hmm. relationship, and expertise, low confidence, um, and energy, a little down maybe because mm-hmm. of the stress, right, yeah. or or lack of confidence, and. I asked him a question. I said, when you have a conversation with yourself, we all talk to ourselves, you know, you're going to oh, leave yeah. here and you're going to be having a conversation with yourself until Are you get you kidding? your, your I can't get event. myself to shut up. Like, <laughs> shut up, Aaron. Like. But the question is, are those conversations happy or sad? Yeah. And that's where grace comes in. I, and I think that when you remind yourself of God, it helps you to, to lean on the happy and joy and benefits and the, the, the great things in life yeah. and not dwelling on all the other stuff. The other stuff's there and you got to deal with it. But, you know, this person said to me, I asked them that question. They said, less than 20% of my thoughts are happy oh, that's or so joyful. Sad. And I said, what would you say you would think mine? And they said, well, you're probably 80% happy and joyful. And I said, I don't know. Sometimes I have to think it's even more than that. Oh, well that, I, I, I would say I'm fall more in the 80, 20 range if I'm honest, but I don't know. I think that like to me, for somebody like me, and I'd be curious to have my husband answer this question. I can be extremely hard on myself, like extremely hard on myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you can be hard on others too. Oh, yes, I can. You, 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 yeah. you it's equal for you. Yeah. It's, it's that, that yeah. desire to be perfect. It, well, and it's, it, you know, we've talked about this. We have tons of expectation, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and nothing, nothing, uh, you know, kind of drives me more crazy than seeing somebody who has such great potential and not living up to their potential. Oh yeah. Right. I, I like, get that. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you can do so much, so much. Right. But, um, you know, I think that the, 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 you know, kind of to reflect on your word of grace, like Kurt, I had no grace for myself until I had kids like none. I was so mean to myself. Like I was so mean to myself. And like, I know that that's a really silly thing to say, but now it's kind of like, you know, I mean, like I, as I said, like, I love exercise, but I'm not going to like kill myself if I don't do it every day. You know what I mean? Like that's you, you just, there's certain things that all of a sudden you start realizing that the, the greater context of life, um, you know, comes into play and, and you just say to yourself, you know what? this is okay. Like it's all going to be good. Life is, is good. It is good. Well, um, we need to get you out of here. Cause I know you have something, you have this who thing cause you're in this women. Owl. Ophthalmic world leader, world leaders. There's yes. a, there's Not a the who. world health organization. No, no, there's I a, wish that I was there's a women, that. there's a women, there's a, the acronym is who, cause I spoke at uh-huh. the conference. Uh, it's out. I was, well, I need to get involved I, with who too. Dyslexics, so make me, we, yeah. we did that. No, bring me in. But yes, ophthalmic world leaders. Yep. So, um, and you're going to that, you're on the, you're on the board Yes. and, and we're going to, we're going to do this again. We have to do this again because there's so I'd many things to. I'd love to continue. 
talking to I don't know about. why I am. I, I don't think that I'm a very interesting person, but I do love to talk, Kurt. So anytime I can share a cup of coffee with you, I will definitely do that. Yeah, you're you're more than interesting. You're just mm. you're a wonderful person. I'm so honored to have like you as a friend, and thank you for mm. making this this journey today to be here with us. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you.